us the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So Jake Bentley chased and dropped a 15-yard line. Roquan, the chef, Smith. Roquan Smith, he's the highlight show of this defense. In the ring, Steve-O's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Instagram, IGJHood, on Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood. Broadcasting live from our first Midwest Bank studio. We'll hear from UIC Flames assistant coach D. Brown. I trust his eyes because we are just 22 hours away from the NBA draft. You can hear it right here on ESPN 1000. I'll be hosting it along with Chris Bleck, 6 o'clock on Thursday, right here on ESPN 1000. The only place you could find wall-to-wall every pick coverage of the NBA draft is right here on ESPN 1000, Thursday at 6 o'clock. So we'll talk to D. Brown about that coming up in about six minutes. We'll also bear down. We'll give you a preview of what the Bears can expect in the NFC North with a preview of the Lions, Packers, and Vikings, all part of the mix at 8.30 with Bear Down right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad you're in here on this uh, NBA Draft Eve. You know, um, when you look at the Chicago Bulls, and I know that there are some that look at a number 7 pick and say, what are the Bulls going to do with that number 7 pick? Obviously, there's several things that they can do. They can uh, go up in the draft and find the lead guard that they're looking for in Garland. They could be able to get him, Darius Garland. Or they can go down the draft, or they could stand pat. My expectations is that the Bulls are going to stand pat and get someone at seven that they can utilize. Because ultimately, when it comes to the Bulls, it comes down to what Laurie Marketing is, what Otto Porter is, what Zach Levine is, what Chris Dunn is going to be. And then trying to figure out some of the others on this team, like Wendell Carter Jr. and what he can bring. There's a lot of G League, Windy City Bulls, G League talent toward the end of the season, like Walt Lemon Jr. and um, Raleigh Alkins, players like that. Ryan Archidiakono is on this squad as well. But you know, what it comes down to is being able to develop talent. 
And even though we've seen underachievement with this Chicago Bulls team, the thing is, is that there are so many that will look at the Bulls and say, you know, if they stay healthy, what if, right? Well, when you look at the Bulls and just put them in the same boat as some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference, when you look at what Brooklyn is trying to do here by trying to get Kyrie Irving to come to Brooklyn, trying to make a Brooklyn a destination in New York more so than the Knicks, when you look at the 76ers and how they trusted the process and was able to go and just kind of level the team at the studs, start from scratch, go from the bottom and work its way to where it is right now. The Toronto Raptors, a team that made a number of moves. It wasn't just Ky- it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard. There was other moves that were made, like Marcus Saul uh, being able to go deep and say, Fred Van Vliet, you're not drafted, but we can utilize your shooting touch. Siakam and developing that young talent. They were able to do a lot of things to be able to get to being a bridesmaid to an NBA champion. Other teams in the Eastern Conference, like Charlotte, try to figure out what they want to do with Kemba Walker. Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? And you look at them, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks and the Indiana Pacers in the Central. The, the Bucks are a perfect example of a team that was not going in the right direction. They started to get better, and it's just it was amazing to me, and probably to you as well. It really takes one, doesn't it, to get everything jump-started? It takes a top draft pick. It, it takes someone quality to be able to get things going for your franchise. And for the Milwaukee Bucks, they started with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they worked their way towards something special. So the Bucks are a good team for the short term. Indiana Pacers with Victor Oladipo from that trade with Oklahoma City. The Pacers were played very well under Nate McMillan. So... There are a lot of examples of teams that are on the come. There are examples of teams that are right there at the top. And the Bulls got to find out who they are. It comes down to who you are to try to figure out whether or not you're going to be a contender or a team that's in the middle. When you're in the middle, it sucks. When you're in the middle, you're 9th, 10th, 11th in the, in the East, and you just don't know direction. you got to figure out what your direction is. And so hopefully after this draft... And after this free agency, they will be able to determine the direction. Health is a big issue. Development is the other issue with this Bulls team. John Paxson would tell you that. I'm telling you that. We're talking about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So, on Captain Company this morning, Jay Billis from ESPN was talking about some Bulls issues. He One of the questions that was posed to him is, should the Bulls trade up to get the point guard uh, Garland from Vanderbilt. Well, I like Garland because he can really shoot it, uh, and he's he's got a, a beautiful, tight shooting stroke that uh, with great range, and he can really shoot off the dribble. Um, you know, he's really good in pick and roll situations of getting his shot. He's not as good getting someone else a shot, or at least hasn't proven that over the five games that he played in college and a pretty small sample size. But he, he's very, very talented and very good. And, and one of our draft guys who's fantastic, Mike Schmitz, uh, likens him to, to Damian Lillard when Lillard came out of Weber State. So that's a, that's a pretty good comparison. Um, I don't know, like, if, if, if you know, Chicago's hell-bent on getting him, you probably have to get up to number four to make sure you can get him. Um, even though I, I project, you know, I, I think that, that DeAndre Hunter of Virginia is the fourth-best prospect. But, but Kobe White of North Carolina and Darius Garland after John Moran are the best point guards available. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're going to sit at seven, uh, it's probably going to be a choice between Kobe White 
and uh, and Jared Culver, Cam Reddish should be my guess. So the answer is no. <laughs> That's what I got from that. Um, so should they trade up for Garland? Well, you know, he talked about where they could be in the draft, and I'm thinking that probably not, according to Jay's answer right there. He also gives his thoughts on Cam Reddish and how good Cam Reddish is. He's super talented. Uh, one of the better shooters in the draft, but he didn't he didn't shoot the percentage I expected. He was only about thirty three percent from three and thirty thirty percent on catch and shoot. And he but he's long armed. He's a very he's a good defender. And uh, I think he can put it together. He's good with the ball. He can handle it. Um, but you know, he had some issues where he didn't he didn't play through some things that I thought he should have. And uh, he had a couple games where he didn't even play. And uh, so, I mean, I had some questions about that. But the other part of it is you don't want to overdo it because he's only uh, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's going he's gonna to mature out of some of that stuff. Um, but, but from a talent perspective and, you know, NBA body, all that stuff, he, he checks every box. Uh, it's just a question of his mental makeup. How, how, how tough do you think he is? How driven, uh, to be a great player, uh, do you think he is? Because he's got, he's got the ability level. Some thoughts there about Cam Reddish. Well, I'll tell you this about Cam Reddish. It is, yeah. You, you wish that he would be a sophomore junior to see the very best of him, but because of Zion Williamson, I thought that he and R.J. Barrett overshadowed Reddish, so I don't know what he is uh, on the next level. We're going to find out quickly, though, won't we? Uh, as we talk about the NBA draft with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I was not blown away by what he did in college, so the seasoning's going to have to happen quickly if he wants to produce on the level of the NBA. Also, some thoughts about DeAndre Hunter from Jay Billis. I think he's going to be very good. He's already very good. I mean, everybody saw he scored 27 points in the NCAA title game uh, against against arguably the best defensive team in the country in Texas Tech. And, and you know, I, I don't think there's any question in that game who the better player was between him and Jared Culver. But that doesn't mean he's going to be the better player long term. But he, he's the best defender in the draft. Um, well, well. We all talk about, well, this guy can guard multiple positions. He, he can guard anybody, and has proven that. He's guarded point guards. He's guarded five men. Uh, he can guard anybody. Uh, moves his feet really well. He's disciplined, uh, great length. Um, the only thing he doesn't do at the highest level is he, he, I, I would think that he'd be a better rebounder. Uh, he only averages about five boards a game, and that, that's including the you know factoring in the fact that there's very low – you know, low possessions in a Virginia game, but uh, but he's legit. I, I think he's the fourth best prospect, but but a lot of a lot of reasonable basketball people see it differently. So thoughts there from Jay Billis when it comes to the NBA draft. Glad that you're with us here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Please be joined by Illini star, NBA veteran, and UIC Flames assistant coach. It is D Brown. He's with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coach, it's Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's everything? Everything's going well, man. You know, hopefully get a little better weather in the city, but uh, everything's going good. Yeah, there's, there, uh, when is spring? Has spring started? I don't I see spring. <laughs> hey, man, we can't complain too much about the Chicago weather, man, because this is a beautiful place to be, beautiful city. You know, we always complain. If you complain about it, you need to move. <laughs> okay, well, get my bags <laughs> packed. You and I, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but everything's going to go with you, man, for real. Thanks for having me, man, like always.
Absolutely. Um, I want you, uh, we, you and I talked about this on my podcast. And again, you can download the Under the Hood podcast and find D. Brown and hear our conversation about um, D's life and his career. But uh, because we're 21 hours away from the draft, tell people about uh, draft night for you and the process leading into the draft. Oh, man, it's a huge process. I mean, I think I was watching a special the other day about uh, Fran Van Fleet. He was talking about when he was going through the process, how I many workouts and move, how much moving you really do. I believe I did like anywhere from like, you know, 12 to 16 workouts. And remember he said he did 18, but when you go from team to team and you flying around and you doing these high, high level uh, workouts against other guys in the draft, then you coming home and I mean, it was just a lot, man. You know, a lot of work, a lot of stuff went into that. So when draft night come, you, you sitting back thinking like, you know, how, how you did in certain workouts, you talking to, your agent, you know, you got your people around you excited for you. So you probably throwing a party or you have an event, a draft party, you know, so there's a lot of things going on all at one time. And all you can think about is what team you fit, what team that you look good in front of, what team will give you the opportunity, are you going to get your name called? Like just a lot of things going through your head and, um, you know, and, and you got to worry about a lot. Like I say, you know, for me, you know, a lot of guys want to be around love and be around the people who were there for you during the process and through the grind. So, um, you know, you're thinking about what you know, what how they gonna feel, and it's just a lot going through your head, man. It's, it's a great, it's a great time, though. Coach, what what are um, coaches and scouts looking for when it comes to lead guards? As you well know, as someone that was a point guard, uh, you know, they were looking for leadership. But what is some of the things, the intangibles that they want when it comes to your position? Man, it's, I think it's different levels now. You know, I think even when I play, I had to understand my role. I think you got to know what you, what what do you do? Some guys are really good distributors. They, they really can facilitate a game and get guys going, get the ball in the right places. Other guys can score um, um, and lead at the same time. Like it's, it's what do you, what can you bring to the table? You're a scoring guard, meaning like where well, you can you can do a little bit of both. You can set guys up and score. Now you got defending point guards, guys who. I think we might have lost D there. Let's reconnect with D because I could hear the cell phone going out there. Because um, I, I think that was going to be a good answer. I talked to him because that's right up his alley when it comes to lead guards. As you're listening to Under the Hood with John the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, you can start hearing that uh, that cell phone going out. Well, I'll tell you this: when it comes to the Bulls draft and with them being at seven. I could see Williamson and Morant and Barrett going one, two, three at the top. And again, with Barrett, that's also a question mark because Barrett, all he wanted to do is work out for one team, and that was the New York Knicks. Doesn't necessarily mean the Knicks are going to take him. And I know that it, it's interesting in New York how Knicks fans feel disappointed because they're out of the Zion sweepstakes, because they're out of the Morant sweepstakes, but it doesn't mean they can't get a good player. I think that R.J. Barrett can be that guy uh, that can be around in the league for 10, 12 years and just hang around and just be a viable player for, for a team, whether it's the Knicks or someplace, somebody else. So I, I think that that'll be very interesting to see for sure uh, how that all materializes. But when it comes to, to number seven and coming to that number seven pick, you know, the uh, the Bulls have a chance to be able to get the guard that they want. It could be Jared Culver. Uh, that guard could could be Kobe White if he drops down to seven as we reconnect with D. Brown. D, uh, we got you. We cut off there yeah, a little bit. Sorry can you, about that. Can you hear me? Sorry about yeah, that's, that. Yeah, that's fine. I want, I just want to get your thoughts um, on, on what do 
what do coaches, what do scouts want when it comes to lead guard this time of year in the draft? Um, like I said, I, I really believe that you got to know what you bring to the table. You know, what what do you do? As uh, far as the, you know, do you get guys going? Do are, are you a uh, your scoring point guard? Are you a defending point guard? I think coming into the draft, coming into the league, you got to do something really well. And everybody's you know trying to imitate and be and be like the top guys when. If you come in and, and, and you can lead by you know by by being the guy on defense ahead of the snake, come in as a defender and a knockdown shooter. Like whatever that team or that or that organization need is what they're going to be looking for. So there's a lot of guys who, who can score the ball, also can uh, distribute the ball. But it, it, it's certain guys who just can score. So if that's what you do, I would just tell any guard that's coming in, man, do what you do. Um, be a specialist. If, if you're if you're a high level defender. You know, hawk that ball and be, you know, try to be first team, second team all league or, you know, be one of those guys that's known to come in and change the tempo of a game about how, how you defend and how you uh, push pace with, with, with how fast you get the ball up the court. Whatever you're good at, become the best at it. Okay, there's a number of guards I want to ask you about, and one of them very well could be taken second by Memphis. You know, the trade that took place today, Mike Conley going from Memphis to Utah. And so you know what that means, Coach. That means the end of the grindhouse. That was sad, man. That's the end. that's the last key to that old grindhouse. That fifty yep, plus win yep, team, yep. Zebo, oh, yep. Tony oh. Allen, Marcus Hall. Oh, oh man, yeah, they were tough. They were tough. Battle, they'd battle your ass. That was that was a good that was a good squad. But now Conley's going to Utah. So I want to ask you your thoughts about Morant. Now, what stands out most about this playmaker? What stands out is how well he leads. I think he does a little bit of everything. I think he's, man, really probably be, I, I, I mean, I go out and say it because I've watched him and I think his film is incredible. No matter what level he played at, uh, he's probably the best player in the draft due to his ability, his athleticism, his ability to guard, pass the ball, score it. Um, it's like he, he made everybody on his team better. And they liked him. He, he's, he's competitive. He's everything you want out of a player. And I, I just really just took a liking to him when I watched their team play and how much he made everybody, everybody around him better. When you watch the games he played in, you knew who the best guy on the court was. You knew by how he carried himself. And then some of the plays he was able to make, you know, his athleticism, uh, his, his, his ability to pass left hand, right hand. He's he just one of those talents that, you know, I think he going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, he's incredible. Um, he's an incredible player. I mean, he's one of my, he's one of my favorite guys in the draft. Darius Garland is someone that also has been talked about a lot. That could be a top five, top six player. Uh, the the freshman. Uh, what what do you see from the Vanderbilt product? I, I, I didn't see a lot. I think he'd be like Kyrie. I believe Kyrie do play like eleven to thirteen games his, his freshman year, and we couldn't see no more of him. I didn't see too much of Darius Garland. Only thing I know about him is how well he shoots the ball. He shoots at a high clip, and when you can shoot the ball like that nowadays. It makes it more, a little more difficult to guard you because you got to pick you up a, a little, you know, more. So he, I mean, I think he, his ability to shoot the basketball and and um, like I say, he must he must be really nice. So for him to get shut down and still be talking about being a top five, top ten pick, he must be really good. Kobe White uh, from North Carolina. I've seen him as a. I think his measurables coach was. Six four and a half to six five at one hundred eighty five pounds. What? How about Kobe White on the next level? I like Kobe White, man. I like his size. Um, I, I you know I looked a lot of interviews with him, and I just wanted to see what kind of competitor he is. I mean, he's a worker, he's a grinder, he got great size. 
uh, can shoot the basketball, play you know, get played in North Carolina with a great coach from Roy Williams. So, uh, you know, I like him. I like Kobe White as well. I like his size, and we'll see what type of player he be. But at the next level, one thing I know is with his size and his shooting ability, he'll be able to guard, you know, the one and two and be able to be on the court due to his shooting ability. D. Brown with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's been another, another uh, couple of other players that stand out to me. There's a lot of bigs in this draft too, Coach, um, it, it, that are going to be in the first round. There's a lot of bigs like Bruno Fernando from Maryland. That's my favorite guy. That's my favorite guy. Is that your like favorite big? big? I like him and the guy from Gonzaga. Okay, uh, Hachimura. Yeah, I like him a lot. I like him. I like him, and I like uh, Bruno. I think when Bruno gets to the league, I mean, his size, I can see him as a mixture of, like, um, man, just his size. When I watch him, he's physical. He can score around the buck, the basket. Like, he, he's going to be really good, I think, at the next level. Is his ceiling I, like I, Serge Ibaka, you think? Maybe I, I don't think people get Serge enough credit. I've seen Serge play in the, in the, at the, you know on the world stage when he played with Spain. He, Serge is really good. He played with James Harden, Kevin Durant. Serge always been in good places where how well he goes defends the rim and gives you second opportunity buckets. A guy like Bruno should be watching guys like Serge Ibaka, watching guys like um, when Amari Stoudemire used to play and catch it at the elbow and just. I mean, with his, with his physique and, his, and how, how strong he is, uh, I think he could be a really good man protect him, but he'd be a great rebounder and rim protector. I think it's going to be interesting. You, you think at the at seven, the Bulls will be able to find, like if Jared Culver's there at seven, do they have a solid player, the kid from Texas Tech? I, I really like him, man. I really like him. But, I mean, you just took a guy from Boise State last year. You got Zach Levine, who's at your two. You take him. He's not a really a three. You know what I mean? He, he's a he's a, I mean, he's a wing. But I like my, my favorite guy in the, in the draft that no one's talking about because of his size. And I'm gonna, and you're gonna laugh because I say because his size is is ball 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 is very skilled. Yeah, length, and he just can play. What position you gonna put him? He can't guard. He can't do this. You, you, you're like, have you seen this kid play? You know they shut him down in Oregon as well. And all we talking about is his size, but he got a He's seven two with a seven six wingspanning age, two hundred and fifteen pounds. You know, people Brandon Ingram would have to gain weight and be you, you could be effective at the size you at. Coach, if he <laughs> Coach if Bowl Bowl, if he if he can't knock down jumpers, what's this what I mean what, what Bowl Bowl needs to be able to have more than just the inside shot. You sure his shot's not gonna be blocked in the on the next level? Absolutely not. No, I think Bo, I think you're gonna be surprised by Bo Bo. Like I like I like Mo Obama last. Year. I like Bo Bo this year. I think both of those guys with that size, that length, and that size, from what I know about him, how he, you know going to work. I, I think he I think he's gonna be okay. Taco Fall Taco Fall would eat up Bo Bo. You know that, right? Taco Fall would knock I, him the hell out. I get it. You know, Taco Fall will have to really become a rim protector at 7'6", though. He's not, he's not, a, he's not the best rim protector. He's not the best rim protector in the draft, and he should be. So I'm just telling you about Bowl Bowl. I, I just say he's my favorite guy, one of the guys that's going to like it, too. No, I know he got to get stronger. When you the, the more level you go up, especially on the big boy level in the association, the first thing they're going to do is tell you what you can't do. They're going to start breaking your game down. So everybody needs to do something. So if you're just saying strictly all. Oh, Man, Bo Bo got to get stronger, or 
This kid has to do this. Everybody in the draft has to get better. Number one pick in the draft is the number one question mark that people wondering. You know what I mean? Zion is a really good player, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of things he must improve on as well. So when we start breaking guys down, everybody that's on that list has to improve. And guys in the NBA, is that guys in the NBA that still have to improve something. So we'd we, we be so quick to break guys down and say what they must do or what they must improve on. Trust me, when they get to that level, they're either going to improve in those areas or they're going to go get somebody else. So for me, I just understand that when you're breaking guys down, you say, he has to improve this, he has to get bigger, to get stronger. Now you're talking about everybody that's playing basketball currently. They need to do something to improve every, every day, every year. you got to improve something. So that's 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 when the guys have become professional and understand that and start investing in their gangs and their craft and putting in that time because they're going to break you down when you get to that level of which all you can't do, but you must show them what you which what you can do and bring to a team and then keep working and developing those things as years go on. So I'm not I'm not really worried about because Kevin Durant gained a little weight, but Kevin Durant been the same size. Yes, he got stronger. He got stronger. He was able to shoot the ball better. You know, these guys keep getting keep getting better. So when you get to that level, you know, Siakam, he's going to continue to shoot the ball better, play dribble better. You know, guys going to improve. So I'm not really worried about what guys can and can't do. I'm looking at the upside of some guys and, and how the, the, the NBA is built nowadays with playing guys long, who can stretch the floor, who can cover ground, who can create mismatch problems. Like, you know what I mean? Like, for me... Mm-hmm. You know, when we start talking about guards, I like I like older guards too, and and more experienced guards. So like a Carson Edwards, I really like Carson Edwards because I think he has one thing that he really can do. He can come in, in, in any building and score. That's what the game is, is gearing towards. Can you put the ball in the basket? So it's interesting now how the game is evolving, and I start looking at these guys in the draft. And I can go young, I can go older. Um, basketball's in a good place. How's the off season for UIC, Coach? Off season going well, man. We just started. Got guys coming in. We're working hard, man. I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited to be um, from some third year. Um, yes, we have a whole team coming back. So just being around those guys and um, really starting to, you know, build these championship habits because we, we're really looking to make a big run this year with the guys we have coming back. Uh, it's going to be fun. Excited, Coach. I'll be there, and as always, I appreciate it. I can't wait for the draft tomorrow. It's going to be a great coverage. Hey man, hey, thanks for having me. Like I said, this the, uh, the the one more sleep I'm going to tell you about is the guy Cam Reddish. Think people overlooking him. He's unbelievable. Shoot the basketball, good six eight ish. Um, he can come immediately to help somebody immediately because he shoots the basketball that well. All right, Coach. Thanks so much for coming on the show. As always, man, thanks for having me, man. It is D Brown, the UIC Flames assistant coach, the Illini Star Chicago Zone with us here. Hey Davis, uh, I have a note for you. What's up? We found somebody that loves Bull Bull. Yay! <laughs> Jonathan Hood. So pay attention to my word, because it's the truth. Meditation is the mind. It brings the youth. It's like a verse you could never read out of a book. Dropping the blind in your mind like a fish hook. On ESPN 1000. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Great journeys always reveal one thing. 
The strength you never knew you had before you left. There's the snap. It's a good one. Thomas puts it in the air. It's gone. It's gone. The Bears are in the playoffs. The Bears are in the playoffs. We're going to get physical. We're going to get ugly. Trubisky. Play action. To the end zone. Touchdown, Bears. Rotaps on three. One, two, three. Hester under it. Backs up to his 16. Runs right now. 45-40. The putter to beat. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Touchdown, It is time to bear down right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Every night we give you something in the NFL, something Chicago Bears. It could be information. It could be guests. Tonight, we take a look at the NFC North. We know what the Bears are about. Where's the kicker, right? Well, what's going on in the NFC North? We start off first with the Lions. Michael Rothstein from ESPN.com. Michael, as always, I appreciate your time. How injured was Matt Stafford last season? You know, I've seen the reports as well. I don't know if it's exactly clear. It was obvious he was injured. He was on the injury report. You could see it in his play. But I, I can't say with any sort of certainty or anything I'd want to put my name on how injured he really was. I just know what I saw with my eyes, and it was a quarterback that he looked better in Week 17, but it was a quarterback that clearly was was in pain at the end of the year and and really through a good portion of the year. Uh, But obviously I know you're asking about the back situation at the end of the year, and uh, that's the best I could do for you as far as I can't say with any definitive, like, oh, it was this or it was that, because I don't think really anyone outside of Matthew Stafford and some people with the Lions and probably – some of his family members really know he uh, he keeps everything pretty close to the best with that. Yeah, I, I trust your coverage with that. That's why I started off there because I saw the report and I said, "Well, let me ask Michael because I don't know if that's what's true and what's half truth." You know, if he kept, but I do know one thing that clearly toward the end of the season he didn't look like himself, and there was seemingly some discomfort. Uh, I'm wondering, do the Lions or Stafford look at that and say that's maybe the reason why the Lions underachieved? I mean, I don't think that's why the Lions underachieved last year. Uh, and if the Lions try to to paint it like that, then they are doing themselves a disservice. And I've never gotten the impression that that was how, why they looked at it and said, man, 6'10", because Matthew Stafford was hurt at the end of the year when the whole year was not consistent. They they won two games in a row once last year, and, and technically it wasn't two weeks in a row. They didn't win on back-to-back weeks all season long because the one time they won two in a row was a bye in the middle of that. So they had issues from really before the season even started, and then you saw in week one what they were dealing with, and it never got more consistent from there. So to blame Matthew Stafford's injury or myriad injuries throughout the year because he was banged up a good portion of it as the reason why the Lions struggled is if the Lions are doing that, that's a huge mistake because their problems were they couldn't get a great pass rush, there was no consistency, and there were just mistakes everywhere all across the board. When they were good, they looked like a pretty good team. But when they were bad, especially early in the year, it got ugly. Michael, is there anything in the draft um, that you see that could really pay dividends for the Lions right away? Because clearly, 
uh, with your your roster, you won't, you believe that you have the right players, but you'd like to have something added from the draft that could help you to give you some production. Is there anything that you see in the draft that can help the Lions here, one of their picks early? I think they're hoping TJ Hawkinson, their, their first-round pick at number eight, will help them right away. I don't expect him to be a 1,000-yard receiver or anything like that. They also brought in Jesse James in free agency, so they seem to be wanting to work him in somewhat slowly. How they handled him in the spring was different than the other first-round picks in the Bob Quinn era as general manager. Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Jared Davis, they were from day one at their position with the number one unit. T.J. Hawkinson didn't have that. He he worked in a lot with Jesse James, with the now since twice released Michael Roberts. He was cut from the Lions after they tried to trade him to the Patriots and he failed a physical, and he got released today with a failed physical from Green Bay. So they were working him in with a lot of guys, and I don't know if that's because Daryl Bevel's running a new offense, so they need to get everybody up to speed, and it's a little bit of a different situation, or if it's because they're trying to maybe handle him a little bit differently, because we all know tight end is one of the hardest positions to adjust to when you're going into the pros. But they should expect something from him as a rookie. If they get 500 to 600 yards, 40 catches, four to six touchdowns, that's a really good rookie year for him and and is in line with a lot of the top-end tight ends, how they performed as rookies as well, because very rare is the tight end that has a great rookie year. I think where they could possibly see early on a big dividend is in their second-round pick, who a lot of people, myself included, I'll admit it, thought it was a big reach at the time, in Jelani Tavai, who's a linebacker out of Hawaii. He got to run with the first team in the spring, and while that's not a big harbinger for maybe what's to come because there's no pads on or anything like that but they put him in there tells me they at least expect him to be some sort of rotational player this fall and get something out of him and if he can be kind of a run stopper and a thumper a little bit they can move jerry davis around maybe allow jerry davis to pass rush a little bit more which he was doing towards the end of the year and was effective at it and that even if he becomes more of a space eater as a rookie than an impact player, that could really pay dividends because of what he's able to do and what they're able to do with other pieces in the defense. Michael, lastly, uh, in a very competitive NFC North, how do the Lions measure success in 2019? I mean, publicly, they're going to say like every other team, which is they want to win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And they're probably not going to move off of that. That said... I think if they can show true tangible progress, make the playoffs, have a shot at winning what looks like it could be a very difficult division, that's success. To me, their biggest concern has to be that they don't have a repeat of last year because if they're 6-10, and 5-11, and 4-12, and I think everybody has reason to be concerned within the Lions organization about the future of the franchise and their own futures. If you can finish 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, and 10-6, and six, get to the playoffs, maybe win a game, which the Lions haven't done since the 1991 season. That's a huge success and something to build on with a nucleus that is getting younger for the future. And then you can kind of point to that and say, okay, Matt Patricia's system is working, and going into year three, they can build more around that, and it will only get better. So to me, that will be real success this year. They might not say that, but in reality, to me, the success for them in 2019 would be be competitive, 
maybe get to the playoffs. If you get to the playoffs, win a playoff game. But moreover than anything else, build for the future, but have a good enough record where that future will be something that you're a part of. You know, Patricia's just missing out on, on a really good thing. He should be selling Patricia's pencils. I think that would be a great market for him in Detroit. I mean, why, why not a pencil with a laminated sheet, right? I mean, we've all got side gigs, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, Patricia's pencils, I think, would be a hit at Ford Field. I don't know about you. I think that that's, that's good for him. I mean, it's, it's there all the time, at least in football settings. It has, to be fair, the pencil has gone away from time to time. There was no pencil at the combine. I don't remember if there was a pencil at the owners' meeting. There have been other times that the pencil has not necessarily been there, which is a, a change from last year where the pencil was always there. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's his thing. It's if it's something that makes you feel comfortable, why not do it? Like I, I think people who who rag on that, like I don't know, man. Like my thing is this: if it's something that makes you comfortable in a high pressure situation, if it's something you've always done. Just who? So what? Like, so he likes yeah. the pencil in his ear. Let it be. <laughs> it's funny to me, Michael Rothstein. As always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us a Lions report. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Now it's time to talk about the Green Bay Packers with the Super Bowl champion, and also talk to your host for WSSP in Milwaukee. It's Leroy Butler. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN One Thousand and ESPN App as we go around the NFC North. Leroy, as always, I appreciate it. What do you think is best for Matt LaFleur, the new head coach for the Green Bay Packers, trying to deal with a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, that's a good question. I think people need to know a part of it. we got to go back. The interview process was something that was different. You hadn't seen it in, what, 13 years or so. So with this kind of uh, surge, you kind of – understood where the Packers were coming from. They wanted a young coach and they kept using that word innovative. I think I don't think anybody in the league know what that means to be honest with you. It's just a word that people last on to because it's the Sean McVay types. But to me, you gotta go back to what you want in your team. You want discipline, you want uh, to get back to the basics and the fundamentals. Matt LaFleur met all of those boxes. So he's really has a mentality of an old-school type coach, but at the same time, he's a young guy because he's detail-oriented. I mean, he wants things done a separate uh, way, and I love that with him. And I would think that would challenge anybody in that locker room in Green Bay. So as of lately, there's been stories coming out that maybe Aaron Rodgers wanted to be want to audible more. Or he wanted to do more stuff at the line and he wanted to you know have a little bit more control but with Matt LaFleur's system is a little bit different you remember the old system with the west coast style offense with you know Bill Walsh would call a play Montana would see something he'd audible but it was still in the confines of the offense mm -hmm. they have to work through that process right now because you do want to give him Aaron some leeway, but at the same time, you want the structure to stay intact. So you have to learn your roster, learn what you're good at, know what went wrong, and you have to keep moving forward. And I think that's a good thing that LaFleur has done so far. How did Donald Driver get that Wisconsin commercial? Do you see this travel Wisconsin commercial? 
Have you seen I this? Know, Jordan Nelson. Jordan Nelson used to do it for a while, and it was fun. And yeah, yeah I see Donald doing it. And they look like they're having a lot of fun because a lot of people look at Wisconsin and say, wait a minute, I don't see all this fun. So it's a great way to promote the state. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I just don't know why Leroy Butler's out of that commercial. There he is in the farm. <laughs> He's everywhere. Donald Driver with the big smile. I'm like, where's Butler? Shouldn't he be on that commercial? He's the man. Yeah, you are spot on. I actually live here now. Uh, I've moved here from Florida, played one team. I mean, it would be unbelievable to do something like that but maybe you know what uh maybe donald was a little bit more accessible and maybe he had a bigger name maybe he was going into the hall of fame soon um maybe that kind of thing people just don't think about so (laughs) of course it'll be funny All right, so so you know that everyone, especially from the jump when the season starts with the Packers and Bears, everyone yeah. will hold up the Bears and Packers rosters and see who's going to be better. So when you look at the yeah. Packers, how close is that personnel to the Bears? Well, Khalil Mack, to me, separates them. Uh, he's a playmaker. He makes your team better. He puts your team in a position that, although you lost your coordinator, you may not even understand that you may not even need him. I mean, he's just that good. I mean, they didn't have a draft for a reason. They didn't have a draft because they put a lot into Khalil Mack. With that being said, you have to look at defense, offense, special teams, but you have to look at the quarterbacks. And if you are in a Trubisky camp, you're going to say, hey, listen, you know, I beat Aaron once, he beat me once on both of our on our home turf. So and you would think, that, you know, them not having Jordan Howard, maybe they're not going to run the ball anymore. They're going to spread it out with Cohen. So they're going to try to get Trubisky out on the perimeter. You know, their head coach has been doing it for a minute. He's been in the playoffs, so they would have the advantage. I don't think anybody looking at it objectively would not say that the Bears, you know, roster is probably better. It's probably better than the Green Bay Packers, but we've always seen that you know, Golden State's roster was probably better than Toronto, but Toronto still won the game. Mm-hmm. That's why I never, Hood, I never understood how players are so sensitive when they read or hear things about them not winning when they determine who wins the game. I just never got my head around that. It's strange. So I, I want to know about free agency. You know, for a long time, you and I have talked about how the Packers continue to resign their own and cult. And, and the reason why that. It, I think that happened in the um, McCarthy era and the Ted Thompson era. It just made sense because any time that you were resigning your own players, uh, Packers seemed to always get the right players, always in the playoffs, always in the mix. Under Gutenkunst, though, I want to know your thoughts about Gutenkunst because what he did in free agency by signing a couple of pass rushers and uh, Preston Mm -hmm. Smith, Zadarius Smith, having his safety, Adrian Amos from the Bears. What do you think about their offseason, the Packers? Well, it was different. I mean, the Ted Thompson rule would be you wouldn't spend a lot in free agency, and you're you're correct. He would spend that money on extending Randall Cobb, extending Matthews. Nick Perry would still be on the team. Well, people didn't want that. So now they went out and they wanted to upgrade the defense, which the defense was pretty good. They, they brought back the defensive coordinator, Pettit, and they said, we're going to try to stop people. We think we can score. 
we need to stop people, and we need to get after the quarterback. So I think for the most part, then they went out and got Turner, offensive lineman. So they set they uh, draft up to say, you know what, we really don't need to hit. We could take a project at twelve if you want with Gary, and let's see what see what he got in the tank. He wasn't real productive, but we're not in no hurry to get him out on the field because we have the Smith brothers who can get after the quarterback. Now here's the thing. When you're reading a lot of stuff about the Packers and you see the defense is ahead of the offense and the coaches are being upset, that's always been the theme. If the defense is winning, it's a bad practice. But the offense is putting up big numbers. Oh, it's a great practice. So that's just the way it is. The Packers are trying to build from the defense wins championship model. And that's no knock on Aaron Rodgers. It's just that you have to have a defense to stop people. And if you can do that, it takes pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. So with that being said, they're not done. Absolutely not. You know, you will see in July and the next, maybe early August, signing one-year deals to uh, veterans to kind of go for it. You know, the, people are not drafting development anymore. Those days are long gone. It's about drafting for now and winning now. The fan base don't want to hear anything about winning five years from now. Can you get into the playoffs next year and the year after that? If not, your coach is going to get fired. Your GM is going to get fired. They're going to bring people in here to win at this point. So Guru Kunz is in a position that he can actually do both because the guy he was pretty much learning from was this Ted Thompson system of you got to be a free agent, but look at your roster first, then go out. That's why the Amos signing caught people by surprise. They thought they were going to get the Earl Thomases. No, we're going to draft that guy. We're going to go out and sign a guy that we play against twice and that we know all about him. That's just like drafting and signing your guys within when you sign in the division. Well, I'm looking forward to the season because I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, um, it's going to be um, wide open. I know people have their favorites, Leroy, but this is why they line up. This is going to be really fun, and it's going to be. And I'm wondering where you have the Vikings in the division because you, we see what the Bears and the Packers are doing. What about the Vikings? I thought that they were going to be a quarterback away from getting it done to get into the Super Bowl. That was not the case with Kirk Cousins last year. The Vikings, to me, are the most overhyped, underachieving teams in history. If you look at the, the personnel they have on offense and mm-hmm. defense, it's an all-star team, but it just can't get out of themselves' way. It just can't. I mean, something is holding this team back from being a great team, and they thought they were one quarterback away with all of the offensive personnel. But for some reason, Chicago and the Packers – have been competitive with these guys. They should have won a division the last three years in a row. They should have. But for some reason, they just can't get to the Super Bowl. And until they're trying to figure it out, they're chasing their tails in a circle. And they have to understand that if Kirk Cousins isn't the guy, they're going to have to wait and see the next two years with his contract, and then where do you go from here? But I will give them credit for this. They signed them to a three-year deal, guaranteed contract to go for the next two years moving forward. So they're going for it, but I just don't think at this point the Chicago Bears, to me, is the number one team in that division. And after that, you just got to get in the playoff and just try to win a game. My friend, I, as always, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to the season. Thanks for coming on the show. 
Well, I tell you what, the NFL got it right. You start the hundredth season with the oldest rivalry and the best rivalry in all the sports. It would be one of the most hyped games you would see, Jonathan. I'm looking forward to it. And if the Packers really understand how to set their season straight, if Matt Lafleur really wants to get a good day with the Packer fans, you beat Chicago in Chicago, then your career is off and running. Or lose the game and get fired. <laughs> hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm supposed to be a guest on your show, man. I'm feeling Felix. I ain't coming on no more when you end it like that, man. Don't do that. <laughs> or lose the game and, all, and then the whole state of Wisconsin lose faith. <laughs> One or the other is going to happen. That's how we the... are. That's how we are. That's how we are. Good right, to the... talk to you, my brother. One or the other is going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, buddy. Take care. It is skull time. Time to talk about the Minnesota Vikings with Chicago's own Pete Bursich, part of the Vikings radio network, and he joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. Pete, thanks so much for coming on the show. What went wrong with the Vikings last year? Kirk Cousins was supposed to be the guy. I had the Vikings going to the Super Bowl. What went wrong with Minnesota last year? You know, I, it's, I, I don't think necessarily expectations were, you know, were too high. I think for you know for a lot of us um, going into last year, you thought you thought a lot of big things because you looked at you looked at the team the year before that was thirteen and three, and um, you know you 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 think that you know with Kirk Cousins you got an upgrade from Case Keenum, and so naturally you put yourself. It's just like any prediction. Like you know, the Bears will always be number one, and in, in, in this year everywhere they'll win the division again, and we'll finish second. And Packers will finish third. I mean, it's just kind of how. This is kind of how last year always plays into the following year, but there was, you know, something was missing when we lost to Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you play the first noon game at home against a team that you should beat. All teams in the NFL are good. It's not as if they're that much worse than or better than anyone else, but it just was a sign and showed everyone you got to play your game all the time and you know expose some weaknesses. And early on in the season, offensively uh, we were rolling, and defensively. Uh, just not keeping us in games. I mean, uh, the Green Bay game, we came back and tied. We had no business being in. But for Cousins, I mean, the Rams game early uh, out in L.A., we you know, defensively were, were Civ-like, and they made some changes that brought us there, and then they made some to bring us back, and by the end of the year, the defense was playing much better, and it was the offense that kind of sputtered, uh, you know, at times. And so it's hard to say exactly what it is, but I think lack of depth on the offensive line absolutely did not help. Um, you know, elf line coming back from surgery, um, you know, he had an upper body and a lower body injury on the same side of his body. When he came back, he just you know, really wasn't himself. Um, you know, and then a couple other injuries to guys, and next thing you know, you're, you're staring a average season down, you know, down the throat. I, I saw that um, Kirk Cousins, he – fell on the sword a little bit, Pete, and said that, you know, I'm a 500 quarterback and I know that we got to get better offensively. I, I like that leadership, but, but of course you want to see it on the field. So the addition of Gary Kubiak, how much can he enhance the offense for, from his knowledge in the league? Well, I, you know, I, I think what, what that's going to provide us is, you know, the ability to run the ball when we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at a couple key losses late in the season, one being – at New England, and then one being at Seattle, where the defense played extremely well. 
and then offensively, we just you just couldn't get anything going, couldn't get a rhythm, couldn't get anything started. Um, and you know, with Kubiak helping out on offense, and if we can get that that style, that real good outside zone type of a running game going, where it's just efficient. You don't have to be the number one team in the league in rushing. It's just be you know be efficient enough because when you're on the road and weather's not good or things aren't just clicking, you you have to fall back onto something. And defenses will do that with a specific front and a specific coverage, one that they play the best, play very very well, very very comfortable. And um, until things settle down, and the offense didn't really have that, so hopefully, you know, Kubiak will will bring that. And for Cousins, I mean, it, it's funny how in this in in this day and age you get guys who they're prima donna ish and they just you know they they think the world rises and falls on them and they say all these great things and then cousins comes out and says yeah i'm a 500 quarterback and you know i need to get better and and people some and then he gets criticized for that too it's just it's he is um yeah he's very well aware of where he sits now Mm -hmm. whether or not um him realizing that is going to propel him to being an above average or above 500 type quarterback uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, he, he definitely puts up the numbers. I think he definitely wants to. Uh, and if that is the case, then it's just the marriage of the two of the new offensive system and, and his skill set. He's not a, if he has a weakness, it's sitting in the pocket. And by a weakness in the pocket, I just mean the timing. When timing, when we disrupt the timing of an offense, which is what we do very well in defense, uh, he just, he just doesn't, react very well if things aren't exactly where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be i think he struggles a little bit uh so hopefully uh, a little different style of offense that may keep him moving or at least move the pocket um on the edges of the offense um will keep him a little more clean and a little more stable i guess one of the things that some organizations won't do this pete but i think that you know, at least with the Vikings standpoint, they really think that they have lightning in a bottle, and rightfully so, because you know that defense is solid, and you're, you're adding uh, Bradbury, a first-rounder on that offensive line, a couple of new pieces on the offensive line to help out. You, you know, you sign tight end Kyle Rudolph for a few more years, a veteran tight end, so, you know, bringing a few more playmakers via the draft. So at least the Vikings are not just not standing still. They're trying to make moves to try to help Cousins out, and that's, that's a mark of a good organization. It is. I mean, you know, Garrett. You know, uh, you know, Garrett Bradbury is exactly who you thought he was. I mean, he's a very, very solid guy. I mean, he's just not huge. That's the only thing. He's, you know, but he's a he's a really he's very very talented. You know, he's a very very talented kid, very athletic kid. Uh, you know, and then you take Elfline and move him to guard, which in college, watching film of him. He was a better, much better center than he was a guard, but you're going to have to put him at you know at one side, and um, you know uh, we should have some stability with Riley the Reef on you know on one side of the offensive line. So just need everyone there to stay healthy. I think the addition of Herb Smith Jr. Um, is is going to help us quite a bit, and Herb Smith Jr. is going to vie for that number three wide receiver because now you can have a two tight end look and then flex out a guy like Herb Smith. Kind of like the, like uh, the Giants did with Shockey, you know, a number of years ago, and you can run a three wide offense, even though you have two tight ends in the game. So, um, having played with his dad at Notre Dame back in the early '90s, um, you know, I know he's a good athlete and what he's capable of, and you know, hopefully, we'll get a little one-two punch or you know, solidify the offense with uh, with those two guys. Getting Anthony Barr back was great. 
um, keeping that core and that defense around, um, you know, is, is big. So you don't have a ton of surprises. Shamar Steffen's going to play three technique. So you really only have, you know, maybe one or two new faces even on the defense. Well, Pete, I'm looking forward to the season. Uh, many are looking at the Vikings, the Packers, and the Bears that have really good years. I, I, how do you see the NFC North? Because I, I just think it's going to be a dogfight with the Lions trying to get in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think the Packers are kind of the wild card this year. They have the you know the best quarterback in in the league. I hate to say it because he's a Packer, but he's one of you know, he's one of not the best. And when you have a quarterback like that, you're always going to be in the mix. But Obviously, they're going to be under new, you know, new coach and new everything. So, will they start slowly? You know, who knows? I mean, it, it, it yeah. There's going to be three, probably um, for sure, two playoff teams that come out of this division. Uh, I would, I would expect that to happen again. Um, and um, it's going to be some good football this fall. I think the NFC North is, is trending upward, and there's going to be some, some good, good teams coming out of this division. Pete, as always, I appreciate you stopping by here on ESPN 1000 and looking forward to the season. Hi, right, Jonathan. Me too. And uh, call me anytime. Jonathan Hood. Photo shoot fresh. Looking like wealth. I'm about to call a paparazzi on myself. Uh. On ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Live from the First Midwest Bank Studios on the corner of State and Lake in the Loop. This is ESPN 1000 WMVP Chicago.